as you know, our speaker this hour is Byron Benitez. Byron is a Bear Valley grad and one that uh, was formerly a staff member of the, um, the Bear Valley Church. And, but he has been a missionary in Guatemala and Central America for the, the past 23 years and has uh, done uh, a terrific job and I've had the uh, privilege of being down there a couple of times and seeing uh, firsthand the work that uh, that Byron does. Byron is certainly capable of doing lectures on the Psalms and uh, we'll see that uh, tomorrow um, but because of his uh, unique experience and perspective uh, he was asked to do this lesson and um, he graciously agreed to do that. Um, it is an issue that he'll uh, certainly set the stage for so I'm not going uh, to do that but as Wayne said in his prayer uh, this is a very real uh, topic and I'm just so very grateful to Byron uh, to be willing to, to take this on and if you can just think for a little bit of how difficult it would be to um, to address this topic because um, it is a, a challenging one that we're facing and so uh, I just love Byron uh, so much and appreciate uh, the good work that he does and his willingness to help us in dealing with something like this and it's certainly a part of his world uh, as well so uh, without any further delay I'll turn it over to Byron. Thank you. I bid everyone a good morning, and I bring you greetings from the Iglesia de Cristo in Guatemala. That's the Church of Christ in Guatemala, where Hawatha and I serve as missionaries, as well as my wife, Snejana. And I have the privilege of having my boys with us on this occasion, so very thankful, Jose and Alex. So if you get a chance to talk with them, they mainly speak Spanish, but they understand, and they, they understand almost all English, and they speak quite a bit of English. And so uh, feel free to discuss uh, different items as much as a 9-year-old and an 11-year-old can understand <laughs> with them. Uh, before I get started, I just want to... Uh, what I just told uh, Brother Denny just a few minutes ago, and that's that in Guatemala I was asked to do a couple of tough lessons. Uh, I went to a church in Quetzaltenango, a city in Guatemala, and they invited me to do a lesson on sexual fetishes to the youth. Then the next morning I was told, or I was asked, to speak on how to teach our children sex education <laughs> from a Christian perspective. So I said to them, and I'm telling you now based on this subject, there are two ways that I could look at this. Number one, you really don't like me at all <laughs> because you want me to flop and <laughs> it's a good reason never to invite me back. Or you really love me so much and have so much confidence in me that you gave me such a difficult subject. <laughs> so I'm going to take the second option for Brother Denny on this particular issue as well because it is a very hot topic and I normally preach. For those of you who know my style, I move around, I preach, and I get excited, and, and that's my style. This day, it will be more of a lecture because of the type of information that I'm going to have to try to get uh, to you in 38 minutes. All right, so I'm just going to get through my introduction probably, <laughs> and then uh, we'll see how it goes. But I would like for us to begin a conversation. Uh, unfortunately, in the Lord's Church, many times, we're some of the last people 
to address some very important subjects. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate. Back in the days of slavery, that happened. Uh, we were some of the last people to address it. When, when it came to integration of churches, we were some of the last people to address it. Now with the transgender movement, I haven't heard that issue either. We're some of the last people to address it. And, and it really shouldn't be the case. We should be the first to try to biblically address some of these tough subjects. And so I hope that this will begin a conversation for future lessons because this is going to only serve, hopefully, as an introduction for more discussion on the subject. So go with me, if you will, uh, on the subject of immigrants. The subject of immigrants, if you go to the Statue of Liberty and you look at the plaque on the pedestal, you're going to find a very famous statement, perhaps one of the most famous ones that is often quoted when you deal with this subject of immigration. The subject of immigration often quotes, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And among other things, it is a, a poem written by Emma Lazarus. It's called The New Colossus. And it's at the, in, on the pedestal. And, and you'll see that if you visit the Statue of Liberty. And that, of course, is intended to uh, capture what the heart of the United States has always been and continues to be. And that is a place where we receive and thrive because of immigrants. Uh, our founding fathers were immigrants. Uh, many of the people who came to this country in the last century are immigrants. I am an immigrant. And so immigration, in fact, is not... Um, sorry about that. The battery is low here if it's a way of connecting this thing. Oh. So it says battery low. I hate for it to go out in the middle of our lectures. That would be bad, wouldn't it? <laughs> so um, immigration then is and should be a very important topic to many of us, if not to all of us, really. Because I'm not even going to address the fact that we are all called to be immigrants in this world. We've been called out of the world, and we're no longer part of the world, though we're living in the world. And so in that sense, all of us are immigrants in this world. So that really should be a subject of great importance for us as well, because we should be able to relate with every immigrant in the world, because we are not from this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Amen. And so we, unfortunately, have not been very involved. When I say we, I'm talking about our brotherhood, the member, members of the Church of Christ. We have not been involved, as far as I could tell, as far as I have researched. We do have some good literature out there, but it's very, very little. And so there's a strong debate taking place in the United States right now on the subject of immigration. And we need to get involved to give a biblical perspective, a more focused perspective, a, a, a more objective perspective. But that's also difficult for us to do because we are also human beings and we come with our prejudices and our biases. And so even though there's a strong debate taking place right now, there is a dearth of serious studies or discussions in the Brotherhood that address this topic from a biblical point of view. They're very limited. You could probably count them on, on one hand. And so, there are a few things that we have to admit when we begin this discussion. As we begin this discussion, it's important for us to admit that the topic is very broad. Very, very broad and can be very, very complicated. In fact, if you look online and you look at the immigration laws, it only comes second in length 
and uh, depth and difficulty only to the tax code. <laughs> Alright, if that tells you anything, that will tell you how ridiculously difficult and broad this subject is. So it's very broad. We could address legal and illegal immigration, for example. We could do a whole series of lessons on that. We could deal with refugees. Is it right to accept refugees? Is it not right? What should be our response to refugees? How should we be involved in the lives of refugees? What should the church do for them? We could address the economic effects on the people that are leaving their country or the people that are looking to go to a new place in order to change their lives. We can address the social and cultural concerns. But of course we can't do that all today. The topic is also very sensitive. We have to admit that and we have to recognize that so that we can address it properly. We have to be sensitive to this situation. It's sensitive to the host country. In this particular case, it's the United States. There are people who are fuming about this subject. Some people are crying about this subject. But it is also very sensitive to the immigrant because every immigrant has his own story, his own reason for coming. And so we have to also admit that there are some problems associated with this subject when we address it from a biblical point of view. It is emotional, and when we involve emotions, many times we uh, throw out, as we say, the baby with the bathwater. We throw out all logic and, and obje objectivity, and uh, so we have to be careful not to do that. It is a subject of financial interest, and you know, uh, when it comes to money, that really moves things. It is a subject that affects cultures and national identities. Um, it is a subject that comes with many biases and prejudices. I have my biases, I have my prejudices, and so do you. And we have to try to recognize what those are in order to try to address them in a proper way. So today, obviously, I'm not going to be able to address all that there can be said about immigration. Today I'm going to limit my conversation to illegal immigration because I think that is the one that right now is affecting the churches of Christ in the United States tremendously. Because there is a surge of illegal immigrants entering into this country and there is a surge of illegal immigrant Christians, members of the Lord's Church, that are entering into this country. And so we have to know, what do we do? My, my suggestion at the end is going to be we don't treat them the same because they are not the same. We don't treat those who are in the brotherhood the same way as those who are outside the brotherhood. And I, I would suggest from the very onset that we begin to think about it that way. Because we just need to replace one violation of law, or we can call it sin, with another violation of law, and we can call that sin, and then we can begin to understand really how we should address those within the brotherhood versus how we normally address and deal with those outside of the brotherhood. And so today, in the next 30 minutes that I have, uh, I'm going to try to address illegal immigration in a very limited sense. But first, I want to tell you a personal note. In 1973, at the end of August, my mom, my sister and I, I was three years old at that time, going on four. Uh, my mom and my sister, and all my sister's older than I am. She was here yesterday. Please pray for her. Uh, I'll tell you more about her later, and so she needs a lot of your prayers. Uh, but uh, both of us, my brother wasn't born yet, uh, we got on a bus 
in Guatemala. Uh, we were able to get a visa to Mexico. So we got on a bus, went to Mexico, and from Mexico, we drove several days from the southern border all the way through Mexico, and we arrived about a week later to the northern border of Mexico with the United States. This was now the beginning of September of 1973. When we got to the border of the United States, my mother and the two of us, my sister and I, we just followed out mom, obviously. And there had already been arrangements that were made. And so there was a couple, a friend of the family, I still know them to this day. They were waiting at a certain waiting point in their car. And my sister and I got in the back seat. And my mom continued onward with the group that was waiting for her. Because what we were going to do, or what they did, was the, this couple went through, they were legal in the States, and so they went through the border control, and as they went through the border control, they passed my sister and I as their children. And so we were their children. They're Hispanics. I mean, who's going to know at that time? You didn't ask for passports or IDs. And so they passed us through the border. And they met my dad on the other side, who had been in the United States uh, on student visas for several years. He came in 1968 or so, the first time. or 19, No, it was after I was born, 1969, 1970. 1970, he came and he, he kept going back to the... He kept convincing mom, you need to come to the States, you need to come to the States. And so mom would never come to the States without her children. She would not even think about that. Don't even talk to me about that. Okay, my mom at this time also is a very young, young person. All right, she was 18 in uh, 1970, so she was 21 at the time. And so my dad finally convinced her. So we were placed in this car and we were taken across the border. We met my dad on the other side who then received us and took us home. And then my mom, several days later, with several other people, walked across the border illegally through the mountains and through the hills and probably some of those really bad stories you've heard and they finally arrived to the other side because there was a coyote who was leading them they call coyotes those people who traffic people illegally across the border they're called coyotes and they trafficked her and other people across the border to a waiting location and it wasn't until they were paid then they went and dropped off each individual so that's how my family came to the United States. The reason I tell you that is for you to understand it is not something from which I am detached when I address illegal immigration. I understand the emotional struggles. I understand there are no easy answers. And I have had to rethink my position on the illegal immigration issue since becoming a Christian. Because Hawatha Jones, who is my partner in the gospel, my father in the gospel, he baptized me in 1991. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, huh? Yeah, sorry. Thank you. 1989. Uh, I was baptized January 15th, 1989. If I say it all at the same time, it comes out just like that. Um, um, at that time, he was teaching me the gospel, and I was very new in the gospel. 
and I was serving in the military. My family was already legal in the States by that time. My mom was a citizen. My dad was a citizen. My mom was a citizen. But, and my brother was born in the States, so he was a citizen. So I was the only one that was not a citizen still serving in the military as a United States resident. All right. And so this issue was very sensitive to me. And so when he first asked me a question, and, and, and other people had asked me the question before, but we, we have a lot of conversations about a lot of different things, biblically and not, not biblically. And I was, I'm very thankful. At that time I wasn't, but I'm very thankful for the question. He says, how does a Christian justify coming across the border biblically? And the first thing I did was I overreacted and I got defensive. And I said, you don't understand. You don't know what we have experienced. You don't understand the life that we lived. And you get very defensive. And it's very emotional. But then after the emotion passes, I had to think about what does the Bible actually say about the subject? After I calmed down and I had to actually give him a biblical answer because this is what we've always tried to do to each other, right? This is how we should treat each other, give ourselves biblical answers. And I couldn't, for the life of me, justify illegal immigration. Now, I might be able to if I discuss this with someone else, and that's why I want to open this conversation. Maybe I'm not looking at something biblically properly. I would like to hear arguments that might show me where I might be thinking wrong on this subject. And I really didn't expect to land where I am on this side of the subject because I have experienced illegal immigration personally. So I really didn't expect that and I was hoping to find some kind of justification for it. But so far, I'm on the side that illegal immigration is not something a Christian should do. Mm -hmm. So I'll just tell you from the beginning what my conclusion is going to be. And now let me explain some of the reasons why. Illegal immigration is, the way I define it, is try to make as simple as possible. It is the unlawful. Okay, now that's a very important term because now we're beginning to change terms in the conversation and, and that's very common when you want to justify something without really addressing the real problem. You change terms. That's the reason that the homosexual agenda has changed terms once and twice and a thousand times because they have to keep changing terms in order to try to justify their lifestyle and their decisions in order to be able to live with themselves and to be able to convince even people who are of a religious nature of their position. The same thing is happening also among the illegal immigration um, proponents. They need to change the um, terms. But we need to be realistic and we need to try to look behind the cover. Illegal immigration is either, immigration is either legal or illegal. It is either approved by law or not approved by law. What we decide is going to be our law in the state or in the country is a different conversation altogether. And many times we address that issue without addressing the other. And they're not necessarily the same conversation. 
And I'll address that in just a moment. But the unlawful entry into a country for the purpose of taking up <coughs> residence, that's mostly why people are here. You know, they come to work, they come to live, they come to benefit from this society, or many people have come into this country and they have overstayed their visa. They come legally, but then they go past the time that their visa has allowed them to stay, and so they actually become illegal at that point. They are violating uh, their permission to be in the country, so they're actually living here or remaining here without permission. Legal permission, obviously. And so that makes them illegal immigrants. That's as basic as I could make it for you. There are a lot of other things that we can consider, but I'm trying to keep this short and try to move forward. Illegal immigration. There are many arguments, and I'm not going to be addressing all of the arguments, but I'm going to try to address some of the more common ones that I have heard when I've asked about this because I want to become informed. I want to know how I should view this from a personal level, from a preacher level, from a father point of view, from a husband, from just a Christian perspective. What is my responsibility? What is my conviction? What does the Bible say about this? And I've heard arguments that favor illegal immigration. And so I want to know what the Bible says about it. I want to know what I as an individual should do. And I have been asked, and so we really need to discuss this to know what congregations need to do. And so that's the reason that I'm going to try to address these questions in the next few minutes that we have. So, let's first address the first question. What are some arguments, and of course, please understand, some is like very few. There are hundreds, literally, of arguments. Uh, but what are some arguments in favor of it? Well, um, number one, I've heard it said, God knows no borders. He is the God of every nation. And so God is in Guatemala, God is in China, God is over Germany, God is over the states and Mexico. And so how can we put borders on God's people? God commanded the same laws to apply to Israel as to strangers, is another argument that I've heard. And so people actually go to the Old Testament, which makes sense. If you want to justify from a Christian perspective, you need to use the Bible. And so people have gone to the Old Testament. And this was probably, to me, the strongest argument that I had conceded for a while. It made sense until I researched it a little more deeply, that strangers are not Israelites. And since they're not Israelites, they're immigrants. To some degree, that seems like a parallel argument. And because they're immigrants, and he says there's one law for Israel and one law for immigrants, then it makes sense that, well, as the United States, we can also do the same thing. We can have the same law of uh, registration for voting, registration for car, uh, vehicle registration, driver's license. We can have the same laws apply to everyone, is the logic. Three, we are to practice hospitality. Because the United States it was founded on many Christian values, this is still a core belief of many of the people who establish and who enforce laws today. <coughs> and so, from a humanitarian perspective, which is a very strong uh, justification for immigration in general, and also for illegal immigration. From a humanitarian perspective, we should be extending out our hand and helping those who are in need. We have a moral obligation to do so. 
is what some people say and argue. And then, uh, the very associated with that is we are to help the needy. And when I say needy, oftentimes, and usually it has to do with financial needs. And sometimes it has to do with asylum seekers who are fleeing their country because it's violent or because of gang uh, reasons that are threatening their homes or threatening their lives and a number of other reasons that happen outside of our country and unfortunately are now beginning to happen in this country but it's a lot more common in, in other countries especially underdeveloped countries. And so we have an obligation to help the needy. And again, from a biblical perspective, they try to address, yes, we should help those who are in need. How can we not extend a helping hand to people who have a hard time even feeding their children, which many do, who can't get a good education, whose governments are so corrupt they don't let people get ahead? These are all valid questions and they tug at the heartstrings, and they need to be addressed, but they're not necessarily relevant to the subject of illegal or legal immigration. Mm -hmm. So, what are some arguments in favor of it? What does the Bible say about it? That's actually not supposed to be there, but emphasis always helps to remember. <laughs> All right, let's first address the God knows no borders. It is true. The Bible does state, and I had to throw in some Psalms in here because we're addressing the book of Psalms. Okay? So if you want to write down these Psalms, they are true. Uh, Psalm 22, 48, Psalm 47, 8, 9, Psalm 66, verse 7, aside from Daniel and other passages. But, you know, we're studying Psalms, so I have to justify my lesson here. Uh, that's a joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> but it is true that God rules over all the earth and over every nation. The earth is the Lord's and its fullness thereof. That is true. He is the Creator, and by virtue of being the Creator, He is sovereign over every nation and over every kingdom and over every king and over every citizen, and all of us will have to one day give an account to God. That is true. However, it is important for us to understand that it is not true from a biblical perspective that He does not recognize national sovereignty and the corollary issue of borders. And that's where people try to take it. People try to say, because God is sovereign, and because God is over all the nations, therefore, borders are man-made, and we shouldn't accept them, because they go contrary to the nature of God. Now that argument sounds good, but it's not biblical. It's not biblical. All we have to do is research scripture for a little bit and we'll find out why. Now let's define national sovereignty for a moment. National sovereignty is the supreme, absolute, and uncontrollable power by which an independent state is governed and from which all specific political powers are derived. The intentional independence of a state combined with the right and power of regulating its internal affairs without foreign interference. All right, that's how it's supposed to be, by the way, but of course, reality is much different. But we can look at the Bible and we can see a few examples of how God actually respects national sovereignty. He actually respects borders. 
In Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 through 21, we have the example of the Israelites who are going to uh, move past the desert and go on heading towards the promised land. And so it says, Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. And they want to pass through their land. They want to pass through their borders. Please let us pass through your country. He's asking for permission. We will not pass through the fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water or from wells. We will go along the king's highway. That was an established road that went through Edom, that visitors and, and people who went through the country, they used that road. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through the territory. Then Edom said to them, or to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. In other words, this is an issue of war if you come out without our permission. Now, verse 21, it says, Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. Now, notice what Israel did. God didn't command Israel to attack them. Israel turned away from him. And they went around skirting the borders of Edom. God was recognizing national sovereignty in Edom. In addition, in the New Testament, we have several passages. You're familiar with these texts. Romans chapter 13, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. That's the word exousia. It's the word that can be translated in several ways. I'll show you the definition in just a moment. For there is no authority. There is no power. There is no authority except from God. So God is actually involved in the establishing, the lifting up, and also the bringing down of nations. We've heard that in some of the lessons today, or yesterday, I think it was, where God also judges the nations. And so he is involved in the establishment of nations. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now we can get into that, but I'm just going to try to be as general as possible. The idea is that God is involved in the establishment of nations. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror of good works, but to evil, etc. Okay, at the end... Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And so they had the ability to bear the sword. Now, as I tell the preacher students in the ITL, uh, the guy who uh, had a sword on his waist wasn't there to spank you with it if you did something wrong. Okay, It wasn't used like, oh, you did something wrong. <laughs> no, the sword represented death. And if he took out his sword, he could kill you. Okay, so it was much more serious than just a spanking or a fine or jail time. They had the authority over death and life in their realm that God has appointed. We can also go to First Peter. Uh, before we do that, Exousia, I'm not going to, in fact, I'll skip that because time is getting away. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Therefore submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now, what is ordinance? The act of founding, establishing, building. The act of creating, creation, etc. And so, the ordinance of man. So men are able to establish. Men are able to uh, determine laws within their nations, within their society, within their sphere of government. 
And so the New Testament does recognize this ability of nations and countries. In the Old Testament, there's an interesting word study. There's a word, gebula and gabul, uh, two very associated words, or they're, they're two related words. They're translated border, territory, border, territory, enclosed within boundary, etc. And when you look at the Old Testament, then you find out what God's attitude was towards borders. Very different than our attitude today and what we're hearing in the immigration discussion. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 14, you shall not remove your neighbor's, what does it say? Gabul, landmark, border, which the men of old have set in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Deuteronomy, uh, Proverbs, excuse me, 22, 8, 28, and Proverbs 23, verse 10. Do not remove the ancient Gabul, the ancient border, which your fathers have set. Do not remove the ancient Gabul, again, not nor enter the fields of the fatherless. Hosea chapter 5 verse 10, the princes of Judah are like those who remove the gabul, the landmarks. They were moving the borders. So God was viewing that as stealing someone else's possession. And so when you have a possession, you inherently have limits to the possession because then you would own the world and only God owns the world. And so when God is allowing you an ability to, to, to own a certain amount of, of property or a certain amount of, of land, then by virtue of that, you also have to establish borders. So the idea that we don't have or shouldn't have or it's wrong to have borders is not biblical. Mm-hmm. Acts chapter 17 verse 26, write that down. i got to move forward. So national sovereignty and borders is biblical. God has determined that nations exist and have the ability to govern themselves. That's the biblical position. God not only recognizes borders, but commands us to respect them and punishes us or allows punishment when they are violated. As we continue with the national sovereignty and borders, there is one overwhelming principle that all of us recognize, and it's in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 19, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, and this is often quoted. Yes, but when there is a law that violates God's principle, then we shouldn't obey the law. And so the law is violating the, 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 the law of borders, and the law of sovereignty is violating the ability to be able to do good unto others, the ability to be able to be hospitable, etc. Well, I'll address that in just a moment because it really doesn't. Therefore, unless a nation demands an action contrary to God's will, its laws must be respected. So if the immigration law doesn't violate clearly something that God is commanding us or telling us not to do, then we should respect that law, just like we respect the laws of uh, a transit, the laws of work, and many other laws. So, let's move on. God commanded the same laws to apply to Israel as to strangers. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger. Now the word stranger in that text is ger, and that's very important for us to understand, because people have used this text to tell us and to show us, and almost convinced me, and did for a while, that the same law, the law of God, applied to the stranger, the immigrant, as it did to the native born or the Israelite, the Hebrew. Well, if you look at this particular um, subject, you're going to see in the Old Testament that there are four specific uh, Old Testament Hebrew words that are very relevant to this subject. There's Ger, Nokri, or Ben Nakhar, Tashach, and Zar. Okay, moving forward. Ger means stranger 
or it has been translated stranger, sojourner, alien, foreigner. But foreigner is not a good translation of this word because nekar and zar and zoor also mean foreigner. This is taken from Dr. James Hoffmeyer, uh, who has done uh, extensive studies on this particular subject. I would recommend his book and you look into his studies. I took a lot of his uh, material and I'm presenting it now because I believe it's, it's accurate. I looked into it. And so a girl is a foreigner living in another country. Now notice this. A girl is a foreigner living in another country with permission. Okay? That makes all the difference in the world. Amen. Of a host or governing authority. And this bears out in the biblical text. When Moses fled from the land of Egypt, or from the land of Egypt to Midian, he was invited to live with Jethro. Moses is brought in as a guest and invited into the home. Permission was granted for him to be a girl. The Hebrew word is used there. Joseph, although a high-ranking official in Egypt, sought out the Pharaoh's permission for his family, family to immigrate as girl. Plural form, Gurim. So here, a resident of Israel required permission to settle in another tribal area, judges, to find a place is sometimes misused, as in, look, you could go out and find yourself a little house. And you could, actually, that context is talking about a place of worship. And so we move on, and we continue to look at Gur. So within biblical law, for those who were Gur, equivalent to a regal, legal resident of today, there was what? Equal justice for them. Numbers chapter 15. So there should be equal justice for the native-born, the Israelite, as well as for the Gur, the legal resident. There should be fair treatment by employees. Deuteronomy chapter 24. There should be social benefits. Glean in the fields. Deuteronomy 24, like Ruth. And receive from tithes. But the word ger is used in every one of these occasions. So within biblical law, for those who were ger, equivalent today to a legal resident, there was all of these things. He could own property. Excuse me. As a ger, you could not own property because that was just very specific for the Israelites. You had to be in a clan so there was protection for them. But there was religious inclusion and participation. They could participate in the Passover if they were circumcised. Exodus chapter 12. They could present offerings. Leviticus chapter 22. They were to keep dietary laws. Leviticus chapter 17. And they were able to take the Sabbath off, just like all the other Israelites. Exodus chapter 20, verse 10. However... When you look at the other words that are used for foreigner or stranger, often translated in English, Nokri or Ben Nekar did not receive any of the benefits shown for the Gur. It is different social and legal, a different social and legal category in the Old Testament. Nekar and the law, for example. When you look at that word, they did not get any social benefits of the Gur. They could not participate in the religious life of the community. Exodus chapter 12, 12, verse 43. They could be charged interest. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 3. And they could not ever be king. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 15. So what we see in the biblical text is that there are very specific words that differentiate between the legal resident and that person who was per perhaps what we would call a visa holder. A temporary resident. We go on. There clearly are differences. Many today are applying the laws for the GER and applying to illegal immigrants. And that is really not being fair to the biblical text. It's using the biblical text by introducing our understanding of 
immigrant to an understanding that wasn't present in the Old Testament. So all of my, I'm pleading for us to be honest with the text. If the text allows it, then let's allow it. If the text doesn't allow it, then let us not do violence to the text in order to justify what we want today. That's right. That is what I'm arguing. The distinction between biblical, excuse me, biblical law regarding the GER should be applied to legal immigrants. If we're going to be honest with the text, that GER should be applied to, Ill, to legal immigrants. The distinction between these three words is perhaps best seen in Exodus 12, 43, 45, 48. In the first of these verses, we have Ben Nakar used to cover alien generally. In the last, the Hebrew, GER is complicated, is likely to undergo a complete naturalization, while in 1245, the Hebrew, Toshach, is regarded as certain to be outside of the religious society. So there are differences and the words reflect those differences. Man, I am out of time.